Deuteronomy 6. We'll start in verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, we thank you that your word gives us an idea of how to interact with you, how to love you. It lays out ideas that if we do them, it will go well for us. And I pray as we take a look at you and our relationship with you tonight, we come to understand you a little better and that it would go well with us. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen. I want to give you a quick talk, just a couple minutes. We're going to end with small groups and then go back outside and enjoy the nice weather. But I'll give you a talk around the thought, take Jesus out of the friend zone. Take Jesus out of the friend zone. Uh, I don't know if any of you have spent time in said friend zone. Um, if you were the friend that got shoved into the zone that is known as the friend zone. Cameron's raising his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Man, friend zone's funny, right? And, and the friend zone, the friend zone, the friend zone is, has a place, has a purpose, right? Some of us, sometimes we got to get snapped back to the friend zone, but other of us, when we are in, man, I spent most of high school in the friend zone. I got the, I would like work up the guts, and obviously it worked out for me, married up, got a great wife, all that kind of stuff, right? But a little bit of Ed's past, I spent a lot of time in the friend zone, and I'd go to some girl that I was interested in and be like, hey, you know, like, I really like you, and I think we'd work well together, and I always got this, no, I see you like a brother, I'm like, no, that's, I don't want you to see me like that, what do I got to do? For you to not see me, like, that's weird, you know? And, you know, friend, friend zone stinks, and generally what happens with the friend zone is one person is pursuing, asking for more influence, and the other person is kind of involved, but not really into it. And you definitely reach a point, right, where it becomes obvious that while this person wants a whole lot more access to me than I want them to have. And I think if we're being honest in our spiritual lives, it's really easy to allow Jesus to kind of chill in the friend zone. I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, we have a kind of relationship with Jesus, with God. And, and it started out really great, started out with a bang, right? Most of us remember the moment when we decided this is the thing that I want. I'm diving into this relationship with Jesus, and yet his life kind of moves forward and we move on in the circumstance that brought us to the point where we wanted to jump into that relationship starts to fade away. It's really easy to start looking at Jesus and saying, hey, you can play a role here. And I enjoy the benefits of our relationship in this aspect of my life. But over here in this aspect, in this part, no, you don't get to play a role. Go back to the friend zone. This is the scary thing about that is a divided life we see in James is one that falls apart. And so a lot of us have multiple gods, if we're being honest. We have the Jesus we serve when we want to serve him. And then we have the God of popularity or maybe the God of finances or the God of success or the God that is our relationship. And instead of allowing our God to be one, we kind of take this polytheistic, multiple God view in our lives. We ask Jesus in when we want him to play a role, and then we shove him back out when we think things are working just fine. 
So I want, I have three, maybe four thoughts real quick that allow us to keep Jesus out of the friend zone. Write these down. The first one is this, have an altar. Have an altar. And that's a spiritual word that we see in the Old Testament, some context to that statement. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, as they were moving towards the promised land, the Bible says this, that they would come across a city or a people they needed to conquer. They'd come to a dilemma that they need a solution. And God would come through for them in that moment, and it would say that the people of Israel would be told by God to build an altar and to worship God there. And then this phrase happens over and over again, and that altar remains there to this day. What's it saying? The altar was the quickest way for the Israelites to come back to a reminder of when God had proven himself mighty and strong. Do I, do I know the areas and the times and the seasons in my life that I could call an altar? Do I know the times in my life? Can I point to them quickly where God came through for me? Can I, can I point out without much consideration, man, I was in a deep, dark place and God came through for me and that is an altar for me. It's a thing that I can look back on and remember where God was faithful. Because this is what happens is... The world, the flesh, the devil, whoever you want to give credit for, to the bad stuff for, will come and tell you, has God ever really proven himself faithful? Hey, you're in this tough situation now. Why would you believe that God's going to come through for you? If we do not know where our altars lie in our past, we will believe that lie. And we'll start turning to other things, believing that they're going to replace God who saw us through in the past. And I have three or four. I remember walking through this church sanctuary. I was speaking there one night when I was a youth pastor in Centralia. And this guy I didn't know stopped, looked me in the face and encouraged me in an area that he didn't know I was struggling in. And I, I was struggling with some doubt and some, I, I needed some self-assurance. And he looked at me and reminded me of God's plan for me. That's, that's an altar for me. I remember walking through some medical stuff in my family that was getting really intense and sitting in the office that I worked out of. And kind of emotionally distraught, God calming my soul and reminding me that he was in control. That's an altar for me. Do I know my altars? Do I know the places in my past that God has been faithful? Number two is this. You've got to count the cost. Count the cost. And following Jesus has a cost. And I think a lot of us, we dabble and flirt with Jesus because we don't want to pay the cost of going in wholeheartedly. You know, we, we start thinking about the cost of giving up social capital that we worked really hard to get. Some of us, giving it all up, going in after Jesus entirely, means saying goodbye to some friend groups and some ways of life. We're just not ready to pay that price yet. Some of us, it means changing our character. Some of us, it means changing our finances. Some of us, means it gives, means giving up on something that we've been addicted to that's crippled us for a long time. And it's just not worth the cost yet. This is the thing, though. Though following Jesus does have a price, staying in the way that we're living has a price as well. And, and I'm, not, I'm not here to ask you if you have your fire insurance or you're going to heaven or hell. That's not what I'm asking about. You can live in that tension. That's not my job. But what I do want to ask is this. What thing in my life 
currently is not costing me more than I want to pay. That if I let it stay there, I'm not going to want to pay that price later. That anger issue that I'm struggling with right now that could probably end up in a broken marriage later, do I really want to pay that price? That substance that I'm dabbling in that really isn't that big of a deal, I kind of have control of it. When I'm addicted to it later, am I willing to pay that price? When I don't have self-control in my relationships and when I'm being physically active with someone I'm not married to, am I willing to pay that price later? Am I willing to pay the price of not giving it all to Jesus? This is the benefit, though it may cost me short term. The Bible promises the long-term play of giving it all to Jesus is always worth the reward. We can spend a lot of time now selfishly building a monument to ourselves. Or we could get otherly focused and give our lives to Jesus and build something significant that outlasts us. I have to be willing to count the cost. Number three is this. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. I love in James 1, I love this chunk of scripture. James 1, verse 15 love this chunk of scripture. James 1 15 says this, or verse 14. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I call it the shiny object syndrome. Our generation really struggles with this, right? We'll jump in on Jesus because he's the current shiny object. We'll jump in on Jesus because he's the current solution to my big dilemma. We'll jump in on Jesus because he seems like he's a better option than what I have right now. And then we get distracted. Isn't it funny that the moment we decide that I'm going to change, the thing that we're most susceptible to just drifts on by? Man, when I decide, that's it, I'm done, I'm going to change my diet, I get a whiff of legendary donuts as I'm leaving the gym. Never fails. Never fails that when I decide, hey, I'm going to get on a budget, there's a new Jordan shoe that drops that I really want. It never fails. It never fails, right? It never fails that when we decide where our focus is going to lie, when we say that Jesus is going to get our attention, I'm saying goodbye to the life I was living and I'm focusing and moving ahead that distractions come. But this is the thing about following Jesus. See, a lot of us would think that the mistake is in the major ones. Hey, at least I didn't get her pregnant. Hey, at least I'm not bankrupt. Hey, at least I'm not moving back home with my parents. Hey, at least I still have some friends. Hey, at least I'm not that addicted. Hey, at least, and one at least after another, we end up spiritually and emotionally dead. See, it never starts with a huge bad decision. It always starts with getting distracted. It always starts with, ah, just this one time. I can just dabble back in this one time. It always starts with, I can just go check out that party for a minute. It always starts with, ah, no, I'm strong enough to handle this now. It always starts with, it's not that big of a deal. But one minor distraction after another, we end up in a spot spiritually, emotionally, mentally dead. 
And it was never this huge thing that we intended to do. But it's because we kept Jesus in the friend zone in that area. Last thought is this. Is you got to keep on going. Keep on going. Galatians 6 puts it this way. Verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. I love that. Don't lose heart because in due time. In my journey to get healthy, I wish it was one day in the gym and I woke up the next morning with a six-pack. Really wish it was like that. I wish that was true. The truth is this. I've had 27 years now of some poor health decisions. So I got to put in some time before I see things starting to change. A lot of us take Jesus out of the friend zone because we want a miracle solution to a long-term problem we created. And it's true. He has the power to. The grace is strong enough and sufficient. Absolutely. But this is the power of God's grace. When God's grace is coupled with our desire to change, we start changing directions. But a lot of us pull Jesus out as a magical potion. Well, if you help me pass the test, if you get me out of this one, I promise. If you can pull me from this situation, I swear I'll never. And then when things don't change, we throw him back in the friend zone. And the problem more has to do with my consistency than God's divinity. God is more than powerful to change us if we consistently expose ourselves to him. We cannot grow weary in the fight to do good. We got to take Jesus out of the friend zone. So I want to end, we'll end a little early tonight, just so you can grab a couple people you're friends with or you spend some time with. And I I want you to ask some questions. The first one is this. Do you know where your altars are? Can you quickly point out markers of God's faithfulness in your life. And, and if you aren't aware of them right now, let your group, let the people you're talking to help point some out for you. The second one is this, where do you get distracted? Where do you get distracted? And the last one is this, if you're being honest, where have you been not willing to pay the cost yet? Where's the area in my life that I've deemed I don't want to pay the price? I don't want to give up the social capital. I don't want to give up the financial freedom. I don't want to give up my desire to stay where I'm at. So first, where are my altars? Second, what is the thing that distracts me the most? And third, where have I not been willing to pay the price yet? And we'll wrap up in a couple of minutes. Hey, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray us out real quick, and you can finish your discussions. But um, wasn't that such a great word tonight? I I know I was really challenged by that and just reminded of some things. So I'm going to pray and you guys can finish your conversations. But God, we just thank you so much for everything that you're doing in the hearts of every single person in this room. God, and I pray that the words that were spoken over us tonight would um, not be for naught. God, that the seeds that were planted tonight would continue to just flourish. And the changes that we know we need to make, we would have the courage to make in our lives. God, just thank you so much for every single person here and the incredible things that you're doing in them. In your name, amen. Thanks for being here tonight, guys. We'll see you on Saturday for the scavenger hunt.